Hey everyone, if you're enjoying the Once in Future Nerd, you might enjoy this show from our friends. Welcome back to... Wait, where am I? What's this? Josh, we need you to record this promo clip, blah blah blah, you better do a good job or we are quitting your BS curse of straw nonsense. Well, uh, I'm not quite sure how to take that, but hey everybody, I'm the current DM for Taking Initiative, a D&D 5e podcast. We're a bunch of goofs that love the game and wanted to share our playstyle at the table while still delivering a story you can enjoy and follow, even if you've never played the game before. We're Taking Initiative wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to thespark.network for all other info. A cassette tape? Montage for promo. A cassette tape? Really? Kent! Just the man I was looking uh, for. I'm so clumsy today. <laughs> I'm going to tie the pants around his head so that he can't speak or see. It's our scene, Kent. It's our scene, Kent. Halflings in particular. Small, mm. ugly, children-looking motherfuckers like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't exciting, but they were mine. They were my people. And now they're mine. The Once and Future Nerd depends on listeners like you for funding and for spreading the word. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend, leave us a rating or review on iTunes, and if you are able, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash onceandfuturenerd. You shall be rewarded. The Once and Future Nerd Book 2 Myth Made Flesh Chapter 3 Bridges Part 1 by Rhiannon Angel and Christian T. Kelly Madeira Now take a moment to still yourself so as not to flinch. It helps if you look down. Goodbye, Gwen. I'll wait for you in Galadin's Green Garden. Oh! What the devil? Sorry. So sorry. Sorry, that those are those are mine. I left the cage open by mistake. I'm terribly by Kaladin's grace, Lord Commander, what a fancy meeting you out here. Hilloing, good evening. What brings is you... That, is that Arlene Redmore? For a highborn lady such as Arlene to find herself facing seemingly certain death at the hands of a knight of the wood was unexpected. But even more unexpected was that her execution should then be stayed by the miraculous arrival of a flock of pigeons. Honestly, the odds of a biped ever being rescued by birds simply beg a belief, and the Lady Redmore did not waste the opportunity. Yellowine? What are you doing out here, Lady Redmore? Why aren't you out here? I beg your aid. The Lord Commander intends to murder me and make it look like orcs. A violation of the Second Concordant. As a nobleborn daughter of the House Redmore, I petition you for redress before the High Council. (laughs) What? Perhaps you should ask the Lord Commander why she's followed me to this empty field with weapon in hand. So you've something to tell your parents on the council when I turn up murder. perhaps, Kaltir, the Lady Redmore, can explain that she is harboring an enemy of the realm. An enemy of the realm? Yes, and she is caught red-handed. Even now, she clutches to her breast the foul spawn of an orc. The spawn of an orc? 
Lady, is this true? I believe its mother was an orc, but it And so having forsaken the laws of the Concordate, she has also forfeited its protections. Lord Commander, uh, while I certainly do not wish to challenge your authority in this matter, I, I must still object to... In Galadin's name, what now? Ah, that would be my birdminder. Your what? Sensing Relotit's distraction, Arlene began to edge towards the water. She held the infant tight to her chest, preparing to run. Move one more inch, lady, and I'll shoot you where you stand. Speak one word out of turn, and you'll get the same. With the bow raised, Yellowing saw the crude, flint-tipped arrow knocked thereon. At this juncture, I'll only say that it is unfortunate how mortal minds are sometimes late in solving a puzzle, even when they've clearly seen all the pieces. I need barely a second. Then relowered and unslung the bow as Dave crested the hill. As Davard approached the stream, the three already standing beside it were eerily still, and soon the pigeon's frenzied flapping calmed, then stopped altogether as the birds returned obediently to the arms of their erstwhile master. Eloine, there you are! I thought I'd lost you! Now, what did I tell you about that birdcage? The first rule of birdcages is that you gotta lock them up tight as can be, you goose! These proud creatures are just itching to fly away, aren't you, babies? Now, don't you worry, no real harm done! Dave got here just in time, you can count on Dave! Or just pop them back in their cages, there you go! Yes, yes, you lovely things! Who loves you? Daddy Dave loves you! Yes, he does! Even Arlene could not help but look perplexed at this, shall we say, exchange. And who is this upstanding young elf? Taid Relote, uh, allow me to present Devard, the eldest child of the family. As I live and breathe, it is truly an honor. Oh, I'm your biggest fan. I've got tapestries of all your great battles. I'd love for you to sign one if you'd... Now, just give me a minute. I know I've brought one of them. Do you hold any ranks or titles, Devard? Not as of yet, Taid, but it'd be my honor and pleasure to assist you in any way you wish. Oh, and who's that over there? Hello, my name's Davard. I'm afraid the three of us were discussing a very sensitive matter, Davard. I appreciate your offer of help, but I must ask that you leave us some privacy. Oh. Oh, oh of course, Tide. My sincere apologies. Let me just water the horses, then I'll be out of your hair. Lickety-split. Leave the horses. We'll keep an eye on them. Uh, all right, then. Come and wet your whistles, sweet darlings. If you'll look after them, I'll just head back across the hill and send a pigeon to the white forest, letting them know we've met up. Why don't you wait just a bit on the pigeon, young squire? There might be much more to report very soon. Perhaps it was merely the cannib root he'd ingested, but this slightly odd request only darkened the growing unease plain on Yellowine's face. Of course, Tide. Work smarter, not harder. That's what I always say. Brilliant. This thrown away, insincere affirmation was, in fact, the highest compliment young Dave had ever been given from his idol, no less. He beamed ear to ear as he walked away. 
Just holler the second he need all day. And as Davard walked back over the hill, Arlene's eyes flicked furtively to the drinking horses a few strides away. Now, as to the traitor that stands before you, Yellowween, would you excuse her treachery and betray the realm? Kaltir, please. If I've committed a crime, it was not out of any malice. Whatever its mother was, this child has harmed no one. He looks capable of harming no one. Perhaps I have gravely misjudged, but before I am killed on the spot, I beg of you, grant me the right to defend my name and my honor. That is all I ask. She asked too much, given the gravity of her crimes. Taib, you will find in me no opponent of swift justice. But conscience does compel me to say that in my years at Guanatar's court, I saw nothing in the lady's behavior to ever suggest ill will towards the realm. Then perhaps, Kaltir, you're not as keen an observer of men yet as you'd like to think. Taib? Allow me to paint you a picture of a noble-blooded Mimiet girl, born to a mother killed in childbirth and a father thereby inconsolable. It is no secret that the late Lord Redmore was rarely awake and sober in his latter years. Unless you have lived my life, Lord Commander, you could never... And so it fell on her twin brother to care for her in their house, her famously ill-tempered twin brother, who was rumored in the most hush of whispers to be many worse things besides. You've cataloged my father's failings and my brother's sins. Am I to be charged with these? No, my lady. You're to be charged with treason. I'm just walking the Kaltir through what he may have missed. So this lady, always either neglected or mistreated by the men charged with caring for her, is given in marriage to Antonin Mooncrest. And by her presence here, it is safe to say that she objected to that match. My flight is a matter of human law and does not imply... Now perhaps she just disliked Lord Mooncrest. Or perhaps she's not the marrying kind of lady, if you take my meaning. I'm not sure I do. Well, we all know how close-minded some men yet can be regarding who puts their loins where. Don't you dare. Oh, don't mistake me. I think it's absurd how hung up your kind get on such trivial variations in preference. But the fact is, they do. And Yellowween, I'm sure in your years at court, you noticed an exceptional closeness between the lady here and her handmaiden. You've no proof for what you're implying. And even if you did... Imagine, just imagine, the daily indignity of being desperately in love with the person right beside you, but never being able to express it. Unless I'm gravely mistaken, and the lady wishes to look us in the eye and tell us the handmaiden is nothing more than a servant to her. Arlene raised her furious eyes to the two elves, but could not bring herself to form any words. And so this woman, with every reason to resent and despise the order into which she was born, with ample motive to burn the world down around her, stands before you holding that lawful terror. Who could say what she is liable to do with it? You may speak wisely as ever, Taid. Yet I cannot seem to shake my unease at her summary execution. That's why the decision is not yours, Kaltir. You've seen much, but you are still young. And quite likely your parents have yet to make you fully aware of the intricacies and delicate nature of the peace that exists between the White Forest and human noble houses. I must always act in the best interests of both races, even as I regret any appearance of callousness. Now stand aside. Yellowween... Please. Taid, I've realized it's not the sentencing that disquiets me. It is the air of subterfuge. I beg your pardon? What need have you to use an orcish arrow? Because she is lying. She means to murder me and blame Enough it Enough of your slanders. 
redrew and slung the bow again to shoot, but this time Yilluin moved in front of it. Kaltir, if I didn't know any better, I might wonder whether you had spent too much time at the human court and forgotten your heritage. My first and foremost loyalty is to the High Council, and I would not see them deceived. Deceived? When you were wetting your nice feather bed and sucking on your cream-fattened wet nurse, I was shitting in a frozen ditch and drinking muddy snow to stay alive, as I kept watch over God's forsaken mountain outpost you've never even heard of. While you were serenaded to sleep with your jewel-studded harps, I was listening to the war cries of savages who would rape and murder everyone I knew if I didn't hold the line. By the time your parents handed you the title you now wield, I had forgotten more deaths than you have ever even seen. Everything you have. Everything. The luxuries and privileges, yes, but also the simple fact of having room to live was made possible by the constant vigilance of me and my predecessors and by the blood and guts of my fallen siblings in arms. And now, you ride in one battle and you think, you dare to think that you know better than me how to protect the world I have bled for. Tai, there is much I do not presume to know. And I meant you no disrespect. Well, you have disrespected me. And you continue to do so as you obstruct me in my duties. But I know this much. As Kaltir de Gwenital, it is my duty to report to the Council on important matters regarding that house. And that house has fallen. Ardell Redmore claims the High Throne. The commander of Gwenital's armies calls Lord Redmore a regicide and a usurper. And Lord Redmore's twin sister is about to be killed in a deserted field by the Lord Commander of the Knights of the Wood. So, by all means, Taid, do what you think you must. Yellowin stepped aside. But unless you've saved one of those orc darts for me, and are prepared to lie about my murder to my parents' faces, the High Council will hear of what's happened here. Well, if that's how you feel about it, Yellowin, perhaps some concessions are acceptable. The Lady Redmore shall have a trial. <gasps> Arlene did not even attempt to conceal her sigh of relief. Provided she consents to be bound, hooded, and gagged as we transport her to the White Forest. I consent, so long as Yilloween is permitted to speak at my trial. But that thing she is holding has no rights whatsoever. On this point, you'll find me immovable. The orc spawn dies before we leave here. But he's hurt no one. He's even more innocent than Do I. Do not tempt your astonishing good fortune, my lady. Very well. And, lest my loyalties be questioned further, I'd like to put the creature down myself. Eloine, have a heart. As you wish, Kaltir. Though I'm afraid I must insist it be done in my sight. Arlene stared desperately at Eloine as he approached her. Please, don't. Lady, see reason. Look how hated it is in this world. Allow me to do it a mercy. I promise I shall do so as quickly and painlessly as I can. Tears streamed down Arlene's face, but she did not budge. Please, my lady. Yellowin reached out and took hold of the child. With his elvish strength, he did not have to try very hard to pull it from Arlene's hands. Forgive me, Gwen. But as Yilloween held the child, and despite his heightened perceptions, the elf could not discern a single significant difference between the Orkling and any of his Memiet friends. 
Sibling, what do you know of orcs? <laughs> I'm curious of late as to what separates them from the Memi. Well, mostly the Black Mountains, I suppose. Is a brown horse truly that different from a white one? Yellowin raised his eyes to meet Arlene's. He knew that any sound he made, however quiet, would be clear as day to Rilotit's elf ears, but he also knew Arlene could not have spent her whole life at court without at least some skill in reading lips. And indeed, though Arlene was at first too perplexed to react, she understood Yellowin perfectly well when he silently mouthed. With elvish dexterity, Yellowin vaulted onto Dave's horse with one arm, cradling the infant in the other, not recommended for non-elvish parents, and charged the destrier straight at Ree. Damn it! With a killer's instinct, she instantly let loose an arrow trained perfectly at Yellowin's heart. But the flint arrow deflected off his moon silver mail and instead lodged under his shoulder joint. Ah! As Yellowin involuntarily pulled his bout's head to one side, Ree loosed another arrow straight into its eye. The dying animal's legs gave out. Yellowin dove clear as the massive beast tumbled end over end in the direction of its charge. Relotit leapt back from the rolling carcass and lined up to put an arrow in Yellowin's eye at point blank. Yeah. But Arlene had charged her mount at the yeah. distracted general and was upon her. Ree's incredible reflexes saved her life, but she failed to pull her legs clear of the thundering hooves. Ah! Ah, have your head for this, you traitorous filth! She tried to stand, but had ah. no use of her badly broken legs. Ah. Ah, lieutenants! Lieutenants! Arlene reined in her mount just enough for the prone yellowing to grab onto the bottom of the saddle. I've got it! Go! Yeah! Memory pass! Minkilab! Or kill yet! As Yellowin finally hoisted himself up behind Arlene, the fugitives were already a hundred yards from Ree. Fuck it all! David! David! David, get over here! There was still an hour or so left of darkness when Nia came to the tent where Jen and Billy lay sleeping. Jen? You wanted me to wake you? Uh, yeah, thanks. I can take your turn if you wish. I doubt I'll be able to sleep. Oh, no, I want to be around. Hey, Billy. She gently shook her paramour's shoulder. I'm getting up. Okay, okay. I'm up, I'm up. You could sleep. It's, it's really okay. I said I was going to wake up and help. It's a shame that Billy chose to rub his eyes at that exact moment as he missed the very warm smile that Jen gave him. Brennan back yet? No, not yet. How's Regan holding up? She's improving little by little. She's had solid food. That's good. <laughs> I just tried to picture you feeding her. Oh, gods, no. Her feeding herself is truly a sight to behold, though. Of all the things that have surely been said about Her Majesty, no one could ever deny that she is skilled with a knife. Yeah. I know, it's like a theme in our relationship. Oh, yes, my apologies. And she kept the food down. Yes, it's been near to four hours now. And then these two physicians and lovers of wisdom simultaneously remembered certain facts about animals and what happens to their food. Oh. What? Certain excretion necessities. Oh. Well, it's a bit old-fashioned, 
But I've read that in the old bathhouses one might have used a rag affixed to a stick. That'll work for now, I guess. Hey, do me a favor and let me roll this idea out to her. A few minutes later, in Regan's tent. I'm sorry. What? What do you? What's What's going on? Ah, uh, just just need some uh, assistance. I don't really have the hands for it right now. So. Oh, I mean, I don't think we have to do yoga now. Like, <clears throat> uh, just need help with the. The. You know, I'm sorry. I I don't really understand. That's the problem you're having. I swear on Galadon's left tit. If you <laughs> relax, tough guy. Nia had a good idea. Rag on a stick. She's rigging it up right now. Well played, you smarmy piece of shit. Jen gave a wildly exaggerated curtsy. Brennan's not back yet, is he? No one's seen him since last night. Right. He'll be back. I'm not trying to be cold, but we're not going to have time to wait for him. He'll be back. Sir Brennan was, as you know, with Gwen riding towards the Horses Head Inn by the fastest land route available to them. At this very moment, they were approaching a bridge, a bridge which, when the rivers were high, was the only crossing for several miles. This could get a wee bit bumpy. A brief note on this bridge: it's a bit of a sore spot for me, as I was friendly with several of the oaks who were felt to build it. Still, I must admit, the design was rather clever. After years of using rafts to cross the river, only to wind up a good bit downstream of where they intended, those who needed to cross eventually resolved to tie several rafts together, spanning the width of the ford. This design meant the bridge was minimally disruptive to the flow of the river and the creatures therein, required no stone to build, and yet was sturdy enough that horses could be made to cross it. In fact, the only shortcoming to this design, at least as far as I can tell, is that if the ropes were to be severed, the whole thing would very quickly float away downstream. Are you ready? You just tell me if I'm holding on too tight. It's all right. And by now, I hope you know me well enough to realize this design flaw is about to become very important. For as Brennan and Gwen approached the river from the north, they heard a peculiar sound coming from the south across the river. Did you hear that? Is that? On the horizon, a horse became visible. Yellowin. Count here. Who's that? He's riding with. I think it's Lady Arlene. What's he saying? Brennan cupped his ear in his hand. Cut that. No, that cannot be right. And then over the horizon appeared six more riders. In the distinctive way that gave Moon Silver its name, the lunar light caught the opalescent armor of the Tarlo heel. Oh, Galadin, help us. At one end of the bridge, Sir Brennan dismounted and readied his axe. And on the other end, Arlene spurred her mount furiously forwards. Don't let up, my lady. And as soon as Arlene's horse made it across the north bank, Sir Brennan swung his mighty axe, yeah! severing the bridge's ropes. Yeah! And then he got back on his horse and fled <laughs> after Yellowin. The two steeds raced back in the direction of Freehold as the ruined bridge drifted apart behind them. And as the elf knights were forced to stop at the now impassable crossing, they could only watch as their quarry disappeared into the night. Look, I know it's a bit on the nose as far as metaphors go, but what can I say? What happened, happened. 
The Once and Future Nerd is directed by Christian T. Kelly Madeira. It is created and executive produced by Zach Glass and Christian T. Kelly Madeira and co-executive produced by Jess Kelly Madeira. Alex Story and Ryan Cushman are associate producers. It is performed by... Rhiannon Angel. Garrett Arman. Dan Dobransky. Anya Gibeon. Ian Hawkins. Paul Notice. Juliet Prather. Frank Quares. Julie Reed. Gregory M. Schultz. Production audio recording by Jared Paul. Editing by Josh Perot. Post-production mixing and sound design by Garrett Schultz. Tom Lee is our musical director and lead composer, with additional scoring by Chris Montalbo. For more, visit onceinfuturenerd.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or Reddit. 